0: Good stuff. Well, good evening, GC at night. Grateful all of you are here. Sociologists tell us that one of the keys to a vibrant society is a vibrant family life. Parents that provide not only materially, but also emotionally, who have also invested in their children, who have also taken care of their aging family members, Uh, and also are being sensitive and respective to the needs in their community. And also for the sake of vibrant society, when we add a fair type of government structure and safety for law-abiding citizens, preferably with a police force, these become uh, the ingredients to a vibrant and healthy society. And you can have all of those latter things, but if you don't have a society producing strong family units, It's only a matter of time before the other things that I described start to crumple and those facets start to erode. Now, Christians, like us, uh, like many of us, would insist that a strong moral fabric in society is crucial. And sometimes the sociologists don't include that strong moral fabric importance. Uh, But for tonight, let's focus on the aspects that we can agree on. And that is the need for strong families. Tonight... We're talking about families. Some of you are thinking, oh, man, I shouldn't have come tonight. It would have been better had we taken an easier topic like the Trinity or creation or end times or something like that, right? Families is a little bit of a sensitive topic. Well, a couple uh, words of pretext. Um, I I get that family is a loaded topic. And I cannot uh, begin to tell you how much I respect that and appreciate that. I say this especially for our, our, our newer folks here. Um, if you spend any time with me and talking about family life, uh, I, I, I admit the fact that I'm happily married and I have four kids, um, but we went through so many years of infertility uh, in, in, in this sort of story that like, I, it's part of our story. Uh, here's a current picture uh, of, of, of my kiddos. Um, they range from nine years old to two years old. Um, so as you would imagine, my house is quiet and restful and very just the way that it's supposed to be, right? No, it's, it's crazy. And, and this happens to be the only picture where not all the toys are littered on the floor. And I got it right there. That, that's, that, that's, the, that's the only evidence there is. But the truth is, as, as I implied, uh, as, I, as I stated, um, the first eight years of my marriage with Susan, uh, we didn't have we didn't have children. In fact, just just recently, we just crossed over a, a threshold in our marriage where we've had now children for as long as time where we didn't have children, and that was an interesting observation for us to make. Um, like wow, like we, like this is new family territory for us, and and I, I wish I, I I have the time to kind of just share uh, what it's like to, to spend the first. Um, time of, that, of, of your marriage, you know, wanting kids and, and, and that whole struggle. But I mention this up front uh, because we still have scar tissue as we have tried to begin family life. And I imagine that there is scar tissue and sensitivities and maybe even some wounds here tonight. So let's offer that up to the Lord and may, maybe, maybe the Lord will speak healing and truth and give us some perspective and wisdom as we talk about family life. I also uh, want to mention that um, I, I, I preach about monthly here, and I, this is about 17 years of ministry for me, and in other contexts that I've been serving, I, I preach about monthly as well, which means I've spent more time listening to sermons than giving sermons, uh, which, which also means that I've heard a lot of sermons on family life and haven't really given many of them, which means I've heard... A lot of not great sermons on family life that have just really bothered me. I mean, they may have been great, but they they they, they, they just bit me in a way um, that I, I wasn't really crazy about at the time, and, and I have I have not I have not forgotten um, th- those moments either. I remember sometimes just coming into a, a sanctuary and not really feeling great, and then as the sermon would go on, feeling even more guilty that I'm not a good son, that I'm not a good husband, that I'm not even that great of a friend. And we're going to try our best uh, to keep the guilt in check, and, and, I, and I will try to do my part in that. And then lastly, and, and this, this is the part that, where, you, where you kind of come in, I need, I need your help on, okay? Uh, sometimes we, when we talk about family in, in, in public settings, and you're sitting with family, um, there's this thing that loving people do to each other where like, you know, the words that are coming feel targeted to the person that you're sitting next to. And so you feel tempted to say, I hope you're listening. Even if you don't say it, there's like a look or like an elbow type of a thing. And GC at night, tonight we're saying no to that. We're, we're calling foul on that. Um, in fact, if you don't want someone to respond to, to the, the, that part of the message... You know, that is a surefire way to make sure that they never take those words to heart, right? Um, that, that, that is actually a form of shaming. So let's make this agreement tonight, especially on that, that last point when, like, I hope that you're listening, that, that type of a thing. Um, let's not do that to each other. I can't, I, it's hard to read the room on, on our sarcasm level. Um, can, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I give some sarcasm here? Will, will you know that I'm being sarcastic here? Yeah. Oh, I love GC at night. Thank you. I think I have a solution for when people do that. I, I wouldn't say this in the morning, for sure. <laughs> but, but I think I have a solution. If somebody says to you, I hope that you're listening, in, like in the middle of a sermon or a life community group or something like that, I think you should respond the way that Jesus responded to Peter. When, remember when, when Jesus uh, says, like, I'm going to be killed. And Peter comes up to him and says, this shall never happen to you, um, you know, the rabbi. And then Jesus says, hey, thanks. I'm really glad that you have my back. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, he said, what does he say? Get behind, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> if somebody says, I hope you're listening. I bet you they'll never say that again if you say, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I mean, that, that is a shirt sure, that, that right there. I kid, I kid. Um, that's better one of the, that's a, a better threat than actually you know, doing that. It's really hard to recover uh, after you call your spouse Satan. Um, so just, just try to avoid that. And we all do. We, we wonder why Peter denies Jesus three times, by the way. I mean, like, he, he called him Satan, for goodness sake. So in exchange for your cooperation and not doing that sort of thing, I, as a giver of the message, I'm going to try my best not to over-sens- over-sensationalize uh, the, the uh, married life, family life, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, I'll try to give uh, authentic examples of fatherhood and husbandry and, and, and being a son as well. And if I paint any good pictures, I'll, I'll try to paint some bad ones as well. Uh, what we want tonight is to acknowledge some of the pain, and some of the dysfunction, to speak authentically, and to find hope as a result of all of that. So, so that, that's, that's the context uh, that, that, that we're trying to operate with. So. Um, Please please do your part, I'll try to do my part. This is kind of like the Apple user agreement. The fact that you're staying here means that we're going to continue. Um, I know that not all of you have signed on to it, but here here you are. We're all coming from different places in life. Many of, some of us are married, some of us are not. Some of us have not imagined that we would be in this particular stage in life, in this particular moment. And for many of us, it's complicated. I would even venture to say that it's complicated for all of us one way or another. So I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to, to contextualize this message for you. I'm going to be talking about, from, from my limited vantage point, as, as a father, as an overwhelmed father of four. right? And I don't assume that everybody in this room knows exactly how that is. So contextualize this for you. We have very, very different a lot of a variety of images of family life. And, and we can turn to pop culture to, to give us a few examples. Uh, th- this first one is a popular, from the popular show, Modern Family. Um, if, that, if this picture looks a little bit familiar, uh, is kind of a, a riff or a, a spoof on Norman Rockwell picture um, that's coming up next. No, it's not. All right, It was, it was, it was a spoof on a Nor- Norman Rockwell picture. I may not have provided it for our tech team. Uh, this, this, is a, this is a popular show called The Brady Bunch, no relation to Tom Brady, that aired in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, and then uh, we have uh, Seinfeld, the Seinfeld show. I, wanna, I just wanna pause here for a second. You'll notice that um, in the ni- many of the 90s sitcoms, uh, there are people enjoying family life who are not related to each other, right? N- none of these characters are married at all and none of them are married to each other. But, but there is family dynamics happening. The show Friends would be another example of that. And we have, I think, at least one more. Oh yes, the Avengers shawarma scene. Um, <laughs> even superheroes need families, right? If, you're, if you pay attention to superhero life, um, you know that they can get lonely sometimes, right? Um, but, but, but we want to remember tonight that we're talking about different, all different types of families, however you experience family. Family was also extremely, extremely important throughout the narrative of scripture. And we turn to one of the foundational texts regarding family life, and it'll be very familiar to you. It's from Deuteronomy 6. And we tend to talk about Deuteronomy 6 uh, at baby dedications on Mother's Day and Father's Day and and, and this sort uh, sort of thing. And Deuteronomy 6 reads like this. These are the commands, decrees, and the laws of the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan, to possess, so that you, your children and their children, after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Well, let's remember some context here. The children of Israel have crossed into the promised land. Their parents have gone from slaves in Egypt to escaped men and women, then to wanderers and doubters. And that entire generation has passed away and their children are now entering into the promised land of Canaan, along with their leader, Moses. And Moses is receiving, in, receiving instructions from God. This is a moment of nation building, okay? Nation building. Now, if you've ever have, if you, you, in fact, everyone's probably experienced this in some form or another. If you remember that feeling of moving into a new home or a new dorm or a new apartment, and you're like, you're walking through the place where like before it even has much in. And, and you're thinking to yourself or you're saying to the person next to you, here's where we're going to hang this. And here's where we're going to put the tree, right? There's like this excitement. Here's where we're going to have morning coffee. If we would just get this particular table, it would just go so perfect right in there, right? This is part of, of like this, this, this home building, this, this home, or in this case, nation building. Have you ever been part of like a church plant Uh, or or as some of the campuses, as as they experience this, uh, when when they start uh, rehabbing and and restructuring a building, they say like, over here is going to be the new welcome center. We're going to make new friends right here in this corner. Uh, Over here is going to be the kid's town space. And, and honestly, if you can ever be part of one of these conversations, when people start imagining what a nursery, or the nursery is going to go, especially for type, uh, certain types of churches that don't have any babies in, in it yet, that is one of the most faith-filled moments that one can experience, right? There are going to be mothers bringing their babies right here. When they talk about the altar, when they talk about the front of the sanctuary, kids are going to get baptized here. Babies are going to be dedicated here. And I hate to say this, but we're going to celebrate and honor and remember our loved ones here as well. This is going to be an incredible place of community and of family and of worship, right? This, This is one of the things that happens in churches. In business startups, in business startups, what do they say? I actually have no idea what they say at business startups. I've never been part of one. I assume they say the receptionist is going to sit over here. The copy machine is going to go over there. <laughs> Standing desks as far as the eye can see. I, I, have no, I have no idea. I have no idea. But this is a moment of groundbreaking. And that, that is what's happening in this text. And for many of his modern-day readers, you may have been a little turned off when you heard the word commands, decrees, and laws of God. I mean, like, if you want to get people's attention, I mean, like I would not suggest beginning this way. Here are the laws and the commands and the decrees of God. Oh, we came to the wrong service again. This keeps happening to us. But to them, this was a holy moment. This was a life-transforming, community-shaping, nation identity forming moment. In this new land of milk and honey as is always described, the milk symbolizes provision and nourishment, and the honey symbolizes a land of prosperity and enjoyment. We are going to want to live here. And all the children of Israel, what they are saying is, we want this home to work. We want this nation to flourish. We want this community to thrive. And not only do we not want to go back to Egypt, we don't want that stuff coming here either. We don't want the mentality, we don't want the paganism, we don't want the abuse and the customs and the pain, we don't want to live like them. We also don't want to live like the way that our parents lived. I mean, they experienced the the deliverance of God and tragically they squandered it for a generation in the desert, we want something better for ourselves and for our children. Moses, tell us more. And so he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that, and that is pushing back against that Egyptian mentality where there, were, where, where there was all these different pagan gods. The Lord is one and you know him. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And these commandments that I give you today, they are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're walking along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on door frames, on your houses, and on your gates. If they were making a movie out of this, and if they were making a good one, right, right? They would put the camera, like, really low as Moses comes like, to, to, like, you know, whatever pulpit that he's going to be standing in front of type of a thing. And there would be crowds and crowds and crowds of people waiting to, see, to hear what Moses is going to say into a microphone, right? I, I know it doesn't work that way exactly, but work with me here, right? And moments before that, if they were making this movie with, 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 with how we read scripture, Moses would—and we, we, we imagine this—, this is, Moses would be in the back room pacing, sweating, nervous, wondering how, how did I get myself into this? I don't even know what I'm going to say to all of these people. And there's probably people around him who care for him, and they're, they're thinking like, oh, I, I, I've seen him like this. He, he's, not, he's not very confident I mean, when he's speaking in front of people. He's one of the guys that when he calls, and, leaves a vo- uh, calls and, and gets the voicemail, he just hangs up. He doesn't have confidence to leave a voicemail. He texts, right? Tried to call on you, call me back thanks yeah. right like like that that's his that's his mo right there's people around him probably wondering like why did god call him to be in this situation and probably as he's looking for the door there's like this flashback scene where he remembers the pain and the suffering of all that went on in egypt where he remembers people that he loved being persecuted and abused and attacked And then he remembers that incredible calling that he received from God, this burning bush experience where the bush said, I am, and you go tell Pharaoh that you're leaving and you're taking all your people with you too. And he probably remembers walking into the room with the most powerful man on the planet and probably a very intimidating room with people uh, with soldiers with with, uh, spears and swords flanking him probably. And Moses defiantly saying, we're leaving, and there's nothing you can do about it. And he probably remembers the, the, the plagues that God brought upon Egypt. And then as they, as they miraculously left, and as we are coming to, to this huge body of water, and there are masses of them, you know, some estimate a million or so, how are we going to get across the water? And the waters separate, and they stand up like towers. And he gets through because he's amongst the first. But he's looking over his shoulder and wondering, how long is this going to last? Because there are mothers carrying little babies. There are, there are cattle and livestock. And there's people from every generation carrying everything that they own and carrying their heirlooms as well. Is this, are we going to make it? And is the, is, the, is the pursuing army going to catch us? And right when the last person, we assume, crosses the waters, Start, return to to, to normal, and they would drown the entire Egyptian army. Moses probably remembers this. Probably remembers it all. He remembers the goodness that God has given them and says, This is the message to give to the people. Love the Lord your God, this God of deliverance. Love him with everything that you got. When you wake up in the morning, you praise him, and you tell the kids who did not live to experience this, they didn't get to see this, you're gonna have to tell them over and over just how incredible, how inspirational, how amazing this history is. Because this land was promised to people you didn't even get to meet, and you are partaking in it. This would be an epic movie. I mean, like, you could hear the soundtrack playing type of a thing, but it continues. And when the Lord brings you to the land that he swore to your fathers to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide wells that you didn't dig and vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant then when you eat and are satisfied be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery oh, this is epic you didn't even do this for yourselves. This was given to you. When I read scripture, and, 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 I, and as a lover of scripture, and, and I know this room is filled with many people who love scripture and many people who want to love scripture more, one of the things that I love doing is I, I like to imagine, if I were Moses, what would I have said? And, and, and if you really want to get you know, creative and just have li, license, Imagine that God isn't telling you what to say. So you can just say anything that you want. This is good. Don't don't actually confuse this for scripture. This is just an exercise. Right? Of all the things that, that Moses could have said in that moment. He could have talked about family. He said, I've heard sociologists say that the key to a great society is great family units, right? Right? Yeah, you guys are listening. I like that. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for, thanks for tracking. Love your spouse, love your kids, love your in-laws. That's the key to a great society. He didn't say that, right? He he could have talked about freedom. He could have talked about the local economy. He could have talked about prosperity and about jobs and all these things, but he doesn't. He begins by talking about what? Love God first with everything that you got. This is what makes it so universal for all of us, regardless of your marital status, regardless of what type of family that you came from. We all have this moment, this opportunity to love God with everything that we got. I imagine in this young nation's history that there were many people in non-ideal situations, to put it politely. The movies always show us the really, really good-looking people, right? Like the nice-looking father and his beautiful wife and the perfect-looking children, and they're always perfectly dressed, even though part of the story always includes the fact that they came from slavery and they didn't have any money, but somehow they budgeted perfectly to always look immaculate, right? Right? No, Moses is speaking to all kinds of people. In this patriarchal ancient Near East context, there were some who were righteous, but there were so many who were not. There were men who took more than one wife. There were men who left their first wife for other women. There was polygamy and adultery and more and worse. There were women who were abandoned and abused. There were women who fled to survive for their lives, there were people who were waiting for their prayers to be answered. There were orphan children. There was all these different family dynamics, families that had despi- family members who had despised each other. And Moses, even in this moment, doesn't begin by saying, okay, guys, I know we've been through a lot of things together, but it's time to reconcile because we, we have a nation to build. It's time to get our acts together. No, again, he says, the place that we are going to start, is to love God with everything that we got. This is where it begins, and this is where it begins for us too. This is where it continues for many of us too. And for many of us, we know this. For many of the, for many of us, we're, we're, we resonate. And for for like when I when I when I, when I reflect upon this, like I'm like yes, I'm sold. I'm sold. Yes, this is exactly what I want. And I and I, I, I listen to the songs and I worship along and I receive the benediction. something happens after the benediction and before I pull up to my garage I don't know if I'm hungry I don't know if I'm distracted by like you know the to-do list that somehow just like sneaks in you know past this wonderful moment of worship that I've just experienced but I start thinking about deadlines email replies I, I start thinking about some of the awkward conversations that they may have had this week. I start imagining the, the future conversations I'm going to have. And I, and I start some, some anxiety. I hope they go well. I, I, I hope we can communicate clearly. I hope we can bring resolve and closure to this particular situation. Oh, no. Right? And then that moment when you, when you open your garage door. I don't know if anyone else has this moment, but, but, but maybe I'm not talking about you. Um, and, and, you're, and you back your car into a garage, and you just see all these unfinished projects and clutter and things that you were going to throw away and to-do lists. And you open up your, your home, and, and, and there's other things that like, are vying for your attention. And, 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 all, and you're just gone from that moment that you had a half an hour ago here in this, in this, in this worship space. Oh, that's the reality, right? The reality Sneaks in, and I want to talk a little bit about that reality, and I want to acknowledge that reality. And part of that narration is just, just to just to tell you, if that's happening for you, you're normal. And it also, just to kind of push back on that and say, this is why it's so important that we pray at night. Like I, I, I I'm, at a, I'm at a point, especially on Sundays, where like I'm like. God, help me to... not. I don't want to hold on to the feeling, but but to hold on to the teaching, to hold on to the truth that you are trying to shape my heart in. Because, like, I got bills. I got deadlines. And I, you know, I'm not as wonderfully patient as i appear to be when i'm on the platform when you got four kids and like you know they're all complaining about a different thing about the, the, the scoop of ice cream that one got versus the other kids i got real problems i can't handle this is ice cream it's wonderful it's good enjoy it i'll get some more just hang in there right right hence the importance of prayer there's also the frantic lives that we live, the, the competitiveness, the fear of the future. But this evening, I just want to talk a little bit about technology. And, and as so many writers and, and authors and pastors are, are discussing what is happening to us through these forms of through the f- new forms of technology that we're experiencing, we, we just want to cast a little bit of light into that. I recently attended what's called the Q Conference, and you've probably heard me talk about Q if you've been coming to GC at night for a while. Q stands for questions, and we have this Q Commons event that we have here in Boston about once or twice a year. The next one's going to be in October. And basically what they are are 9 to 18-minute TED Talks for Christians. And one of my favorite ones at the National Conference was by a guy named Andy Crouch, and he was talking about technology because he just wrote a book called The Tech Wise Family. And... Here's some of the highlights from, from, his, from his talk. And again, the book is called The Tech Wise Family, and I would just encourage all of you to get it. And, uh, it's on Amazon. It's the best $15 you spent. Um, but he says Technology is good for production, not good for creation. Good for production, but not good for creation. Technology is good for expressing capacities, but not for forming them. And this last one technology is good for leisure but not good for rest. Leisure, but not good for rest. We need to put technology in its proper place. He, he went on to say, we have more leisure than anyone in history, but we may be the, the people who are experiencing the least amount of Sabbath than anyone in history as well. And one of the key reasons is because technology is stealing it from us. If there's one thing technology is not good for, it is... Be, is being present technology robs us from this moment of being present i am bad at this There was this app that i had downloaded last year that that tracked the number of times you pick up your phone i deleted it in a week because i couldn't <laughs> deal with the reality that is a true story That is a true story. And every now and then I pray that God would give me the courage to download that app again. Because I I, I have to have improved. I haven't. (laughs) I'm not going to. I don't know. Um, But it is. if you can relate to that, if you can relate to that, technology is robbing us from from this moment of being present. There was this author who was talking about how, how her daughter drew a portrait of her. And the portrait was, she said, it was the worst thing I had ever seen in my life. Not because it didn't look like me, but it was a woman holding a phone like this. And I was just so crushed that this was my daughter's viewpoint of me. This was my daughter's image of me. I saw that. I don't even know if, I, I hope it's not a true story. I hope it's like one of these like speaker legends that they kind of create. Because like, I, I was like, oh my goodness, I, I cannot let that happen in my life. Please God. Please, I'm, I, I will even download that app if, if it gets me out of that, out, out of that moment in, in, in my children's eyes type of a thing, right? How do we combat this? Well, if, if, if you've been following along in our sermon series, we've been trying to incorporate different practices. And the practice that we would like to talk about in this particular week is, is the practice of reclaiming the dinner table. In the beginning of the message, I flashed a, a bunch of series, uh, a series of sitcoms, Uh, Pictures, and the one thing that they all have in common is that they're all at a table they're all at a dinner table and for many of us it's just a little ironic that we watch some of these shows while eating our food on couches watching them eat at tables right and we need to reclaim the dinner table now I know what some of us are thinking oh man this guy has no idea what life is like in my home There's no possible way that all of us can sit at the dinner table at 5.30 or 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock or whatever. There's traffic. There's the fact that we both of us work. There's our kids practices and extracurriculars. Um, There's also the fact that like when we get home, we all kind of just need a breather from each other. So like, you know, sitting at the dinner table, like in that classic, you know, fashion is not really doable for us. And that may be true. You know your family. And that is not entirely what I'm suggesting. I think it's good though that you work your way towards that. What we're doing is meeting at the dinner table for ice cream after dinner, right? And to have like a time of debrief uh, as much as you can with elementary kids and, and, and preschool kids. Ice cream, dessert, whatever, whatever it is. I use ice cream metaphorically as a symbol of all goodness, okay? Because everybody likes to come to, to, to the table for, 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 for that sort of thing. Many, many of you, perhaps you could experiment with this for uh, one night a week, may, maybe a Sunday lunch, maybe a Sunday dinner or a weekend dinner or something like that. Many of you who are in different, at, uh, different phases and stages of life, surround yourself with people you regard as family and try to do that consistently. And make these practices and consider making this table time technology free. In fact, I think that would be a really great first rule. For whatever set of time period, and I would begin easy and slow, there are no phones or no devices, and whatever happens, if the phone rings, we're just gonna let it go to voicemail and it's going to be okay. It is going to be okay. Uh, I don't know if you have ice cream. It's going to be okay, okay? But here's why it is so important to pre- to reclaim the presence of the dinner table. When we seek the practice of reclaiming the dinner table, I have this up on the slide. We get to discover gratitude together. We get to celebrate together. You, many people call it like you know celebrating highs and lows. What, what was a, what was a high of today? What was a low of today? It's at this moment that I get to hear what happened at recess. What happened on the bus? and all these other things that I would not have heard if I was just kind of just walking through the kitchen. But now, now there's a dedicated time to celebrate, even to kind of grieve a little bit together. There's a time to share wisdom and instruction together. I know a little bit about this room. I know there's a, lot, a great deal of collective wisdom in this room that, that, that could be shared at, at really great opportunities and really great moments. And But before you do that, you have to get to a point where you expose the tension and brokenness. And when you do the expose, when you expose the tension and brokenness, you hear all the things that you don't want to hear. As you do, as you make this a habit, there's going to be tension in your family life, and, and we all know this. It's at this moment that you're going to hear more of, this is the stupidest family ever. You are the worst parents ever. I wish I was living somewhere else I wish this, I wish that, and and, and, and and it hurts. It always hurts, and there's this, always this moment when you're trading looks with your spouse like, why are we doing this? We should have put Caillou on the TV and just did our own thing by ourselves. Why do we do this? Well, because you can't move forward unless you expose attention and brokenness. You can't resolve issues and problems and needs until you do that, and you can't experience the beauty of family forgiveness until you do these things. There's that great Mark Twain line that, that, that goes something like, when, when I was 15, I, I couldn't believe how dumb my dad was. And then when I turned 25, I couldn't believe how much he had learned in 10 years. <laughs> he knew everything, right? And like, there's like these vantage points that we have of our parents. And there's vantage points that parents have of their children, right? We're like, oh my goodness, my, my kid can't do anything right. And oh my goodness, my kid can't do anything wrong. And somewhere in the middle, there's, there's some measure of truth, right? And we all experience this, and many of us experience this in, in some form or another. But the underlying factor for, in, in, in the goodness of the table is to nurture and grow in the underlying narrative of it all, to love God with everything that we got. Because the good of the family begins with loving God with everything that you got. I know I'm speaking here in, to a room full of ambitious Boston types. And we are living our lives trying to survive, right? And if, you, if you're raising a family right now, you're, you, 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 you know all the things are kind of stacked against you. If, you're a, a, if you have adult children, you know that there's only so many jobs available for your millennial, millennial age children, and they are hard to come by and every week there's a, a phone call, about how is this going, how about this resume, how about this interview, Did you, what's going on? If, you're, if you are parents of high schoolers, you know that there's only so much scholarship money available to college bound kids. There's only so many spots in the team, there's only so many spots in the band, there's only so many spots in this exclusive XYZ sort of thing, there's only, only, only. There's this healthy sense of competition and I, would just want, I just want to be very clear in communicating. It's good to pursue achievement. It's good to pursue success. I want wonderful Christian cardiovascular surgeons performing surgery on me one day, okay? Like, I, I think that's great. May your kid be the one that, that takes the echo and performs a procedure on me. May they do a stellar job, please. Right? I, I, we, we need that. We need that. But when the pursuit of success becomes idolatry, that's when we do something far worse to our kids. We, we think that we're protecting their future, but we are at risk of robbing them from the calling of God that they have received. When the pursuit of success becomes idolatry, we may end up robbing them of the calling that God has placed on their lives from this love that they may have for God, and they may, not, not, they may be hindered in discovering it, As a result of us. These are very formative times. For our young children. And they're formative. Regardless if you're 20, 30, 40. And on and on and on. Right? They're formative. So may we be good stewards of each other. As we try to foster and nurture. This love for God. To love God first. To help us to to embrace. And receive the calling. That God has placed on our lives. To to put it just in a little bit of a, of a personal context, my, my dad is a dentist, my, my mom is an accountant, and both, both, both my parents were born and raised in Egypt. Earlier, when I talk about the idea of leaving Egypt and we don't want to go back there, that was a very literal conversation for us, right? We are so happy to be in this country. My parents were so thrilled to have their babies born in this country. I'm so grateful. Uh, for this the fact that they immigrated and in and all, and all of this and this is all part of our narrative And of course my dad and, I'm, and I'm, a, I'm a first-born so my and I'm a son so my dad of course wanted me to be a dentist like like him and I I, 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 did, I, I couldn't say I had too much of a problem with it I, I didn't mind the idea of of inheriting the, the family practice until I realized that I had to look in people's mouths all day And I'm like, I'm not really sure I'm gonna be cut out for that, right? And accounting just seemed even more boring. <laughs> so, and there was like this other—no offense if you're an accountant or a dentist—but <laughs> I mean, I'm just. Many people don't want to be a pastor either. So, you know, feel feel free to feel free to say whatever. And I remember having these conversations with my parents at at at, at, at my late later adolescence, and I was starting to feel like this calling into ministry, and I didn't know if it was real or not. I really didn't. And that was probably one of the best things I, I was able to say to my dad. I think God is calling me to the ministry, but honestly, I wouldn't pick this. I just think God is leading me. And I remember my dad giving me this look of, that seems like a very honest, self-aware, non-idiotic thing to say. And, and like that, that was a moment for us, and, I, and I, I won't get into the whole story. But soon after that, I received a blessing from my parents. And there was a calling that was celebrated. And it was hard my parents did, you know, the ministry life is, is, a, is a different life. And, if, and it doesn't even matter what you're contrasting it to. When your parents have something in store for you or plan for you, they, they like it. They like it because they make good decisions. They, they tell you about their good decisions all the time, right? And here something new comes along. And I'm so grateful that I had parents who were responsive to the Spirit's leading and, and, and helping me also try to understand what was going on in my life too. We want our children to love God. We want our family members to love God. We want our neighbors to love God. And one of the best ways that we can do that is by us first loving God with everything that we have. And all this comes full circle with Jesus. Jesus summarizes it all when he's asked, what is the most important thing that you can do in this life? What is the greatest command is is, is the literal question. And he quotes this passage in Deuteronomy 6. And he says it like this, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second, because you can't keep it to one, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Friends, remember, the good of the family begins with loving God with all that you've got. Will you pray with me? Our Lord God, we do come to you so grateful for the gift of Scripture. Thank you for, for allowing it to, to make its way into our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for its inspiration, for its meaning, for its power. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be good stewards of, of, of the message that, that you are trying to speak to us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in in our response to you. We desire to love you with everything that we have. And Father, we pray that you would receive what we give to you. Remind us of, of, of where we may have fallen short and renew our strength, Lord, so that we may live a life worthy of the calling that you have placed upon us. We lift up to you our families, Lord. We continue to do that as we leave this space. May you help us to be good and faithful stewards of the people whose lives that you've entrusted us with, regardless of our marital status. Help us, Lord, to to be faithful with the family members that you have placed in our lives. We ask you for this and for so much more, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Sing one last song and stand together.